morning, good afternoon, good evening, rugby fans, and welcome to episode 41 of the DNVR Rugby Podcast. My name is Colton Strickler. I'm your host. we got a big show for you guys today. Uh, we got an interview with Davey Wilson, who's a photographer. I think he's one of the better rugby photographers in North America on. So I'm excited to talk to him. excited for you guys to hear that conversation. But before that, we're going to start the show like we always do, and that's with the breakdown. A lot of stuff to talk about in the breakdown today, and the, probably the biggest piece of news, something that came out on Thursday, is that the MLR is uh, reviewing a bid, an expansion bid from the Hawaii ownership group. So there sounds like there's going to be a team in Hawaii, and I can kind of take you guys through the, the timeline of this really quick. So back in May, uh, Scotty Stevenson, who is a rugby broadcaster and writer for Sky Sport in New Zealand, tweeted, um, you know, that Hawaii was gonna, had been invited to join the MLR, kind of left it at that. He, he gave some details, which have turned out to be true. But then again, on Tuesday night of this week, um, he had another tweet and said, Hawaii gets an MLR team, unreal. So between May and this is July 7th when he tweeted that, obviously some stuff has happened. Um, there's been some rumblings about it. It's kind of all generated from Scotty Stevenson. And I guess, like, here we are. So he tweeted that on Tuesday. Um, a lot of speculation between Tuesday and Thursday. But the GM of Canaloa Rugby, which is going to be the, the team name, it sounds like, Cam Kilgore, he's the general manager. He went on the MLR Rant podcast, which was live streamed on MLR Fan Zone on Facebook. Had quite a few interesting things to say. Says that they will be ready to play February 2021 if they get their license this weekend. And I think that license just entails, you know, licensing the name, the logo, all that stuff so that they can sell merchandise and just be an actual um, entity. Um, says that they expect to get things started in August and that they already have a coaching staff, front office staff in place. <clears throat> so sounds uh i mean then i don't i'll read you the announcement that mlr made yesterday which was thursday mlr says major league rugby received expansion bid from hawaii ownership group the league has entered into an exclusive negotiating period and awaits expansion terms to be met from kanaloa hawaii group major league rugby mlr received an expansion bid from kanaloa hawaii and the initial application for membership has been accepted the league and the Hawaii group have now entered into an exclusive negotiating period to finalize terms and meet the league's expansion benchmarks before being ratified by a board vote to be formally admitted as an MLR member. MLR received and reviewed thorough plans presented for a team in the Hawaii market. The group of professionals developing the opportunity are extremely knowledgeable and experienced. They have developed and presented an in-depth approach that ingrains the rich rugby history in Hawaii, and MLR can confirm that this has the potential to become a strong and unique market within the league. During the exclusive negotiating period, Kanaloa Hawaii must meet the set expansion terms, including the expansion fee. If all terms are met, the team would be formalized and ratified by a board vote, and Kanaloa Hawaii would become the 14th member for the 2021 MLR season. The disclosure of... Kanaloa Hawaii's bid and path to become an expansion team represents a new period of increased competition information released from the league. Fans can expect more insight into MLR competition leading into the 2021 season. Stay tuned at MajorLeague.Rugby and at USMLR social channels for further information on team movements, player allocations, and competition developments. That's the end of the release. So, 
I mean, based on that, it sounds like they have three months to essentially just get the funding together, and if they can pay the fee to get into the league they're in, right? So they got they got invited. And it sounds like it's a done deal, honestly. Like, if you watch the interview with Cam Kilgore on the Major League Rugby Rant podcast, um, he was wearing, you know, Kanaloa Hawaii gear. He had a hat and a T-shirt that already had the MLR shield on it, so... I, w- I mean, it sounds like it's a done deal. They just got to get the funding together. Obviously, there's a lot of questions surrounding this. Um, here, Here's a tweet from Brian Ray, who is the editor of America's Rugby News. And he says, former All Blacks John Afoa, Ben Atiga, Jerome Kayanu, Joe Rococo, and Anthony Tutu Avake, a.k.a. the Mercury Group, identified as investors in Canaloa Rugby by CEO Tracy Atiga. So it's some of the, like, people, you know, backing the funding. And, and like I mentioned, there's a lot of questions surrounding this, and I'm sure, you you know, they, these are questions that had to have been addressed, you know, during this whole invitation um, negotiation period that they're in right now and that they have been since May. Um you know, just, and then I mean, the first glaring issues are just like, what, you know, how are they going to make this work with travel specifically? And if you watch the MLR Rant podcast, Cam Kilgore was saying that, you know, they have they have support from the Hawaiian government, Hawaiian tourism, um, one Hawaiian airline, and then Hawaiian hotels that, so it sounds like from what Cam said that they would be covering the costs of every team that comes to play to Hawaii, which... I mean, that's that's an insane amount of money. So he's essentially saying he's going to pay, they're going to be paying 16 travel fees from the sounds of it with, you know, with some help. But um, this is something that I feel like I'm just going to have to see to believe. And, I mean, I guess we'll see in due time. Um, but, so, yeah, I mean, that's the first thing. second thing, obviously, is travel time and, uh, you know, time zone issues. I think they're saying it's a, what like a six seven hour difference between Hawaii and Toronto and New York. I guess depending on daylight savings, I guess it would only be yeah, it'd be like six seven. So I mean that's I mean that's crazy that, to ask. And then think about how long it's gonna take to fly to travel from the East Coast. Like it takes a long time to travel from Denver to Hawaii. So I mean that's another um, obvious thing. But I, I just think. I mean, it's just going to be hard. And uh, and they do make good points, like, in their release. And, you know, in, in Cam, every media interview I've seen Cam Kilgore do and, and read and all that, is Hawaii would be super unique. There is already a lot of Hawaiians that play in the MLR. Um, off the top of my head, saw Mooching. We had Connor Cook on the show. He is a Hawaiian. So I th- it is – rugby's huge in Hawaii. You know, it's Pacific Island. Um, and, and it would be – I know I've seen a lot of the the comments on social since this has dropped is that it would be heavily supported. A lot of people would get behind the team. Um, I just think it makes for interesting logistical issues in terms of travel, um, you know, matches, when they're going to play matches, how long teams are going to go. So I just think, you know, we haven't seen any of the other, ma- like, five major sports ever try to do anything like this in Hawaii. Like, the closest really they have is the Pro Bowl for the NFL, and um, you know, the University of Hawaii, they have they have a sports teams, you know, NCAA sports teams. And 
I mean, I went to CSU, so I covered the football team for two years, and when CSU would travel to Hawaii, they would go for an entire week. So it just, I don't know, maybe MLR teams can do that. Maybe, like, whatever this deal that they have up their sleeve is, is going to cover, you know, weeks-long stay because it's going to take a while to get adjusted. And then, I mean, having to fly back, it's going to take you longer, you know, what do they say, a day for every hour out of the time zone. That's how long it takes to, you know, get adjusted to the new time. So it's going to make for some interesting um, scheduling issues as well and we kind of see something like that with Toronto like the the, the t Toronto these last two years have they've have to play all their first eight home games on the road or their first eight games of the season on the road because it's too cold to play at home and, and Toronto kind of did something similar this last season they played the Raptors right before and the last game of the season essentially before everything got shut down due to coronavirus and um, I think they had played Atlanta the week before, so they stayed a few extra days in Atlanta to train, and then they flew to Denver. They were here on a Tuesday, and then they train. They stayed here all week on Tuesday because I saw them training every day um, out at the pitch, and then they played the Raptors on Friday. So I think for there was something – they were on the road for like a month at the beginning of the season this year because – they just it just didn't make any sense to go home. I think they played all their games out west, um, and then Atlanta. So, be interesting. So like Toronto's kind of done that where they've just, you know, been on the road for the whole time. I feel like that's what's going to end up happening to Hawaii, and that's going to what's going to end up happening to teams, you know, like New York or I mean even realistically like these Texas teams if they go from, like maybe they play in Texas, then they play in San Diego, and then they go play in Hawaii. Like, I feel like a lot of teams are going to play San Diego, then go play in Hawaii. Um, but I don't know. There's a lot smarter people have had to talk about these issues than me, and I'm sure that they're going through all of the different hurdles in their heads. So I guess we'll wait and see. From, from I mean, so there's been positive reception, I think, obviously, once you get through the, um, the big hurdles and, and they clear up some of the things – that people are wondering about, like in terms of travel and um, accommodations and scheduling and time zones that, I mean, we'll see. We'll see what the plan looks like. I think also think it's a steep task to, to have them ready to go by February, um, especially, I mean, if you, if you think about it, if you're starting anything in July, getting ready for February this big, it's going to be hard. And then you mix in the global pandemic and it makes it that much harder. But one thing Cam Kilgore said is that you know, when the Raptors dropped out of MLR, this they kind of saw that as the opportunity, like, this is the time to go. Um, so, like a, like the release mentioned, it brings them back up to 14 teams ahead of 2021. Yeah, I mean, that, I mean that's kind of like what we know so far. Um, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. It's going to be interesting. Be, and then we got to think, too, USA Rugby's return to play guidelines are – pretty steep and where the country's not in any position to you know to play rugby again just yet as I'll talk about in my next point of the breakdown so this is a lot working against them um, but hey we'll see what happens so the next like big piece of news in the breakdown is uh, WPL that's Women's Premier League announced on Wednesday that they will not be playing rugby in 2020 and will instead set their sights on 2021 so here's the release from the WPL 
On June 1st, we announced that the 2020 WPL season would be postponed from its original start date of August 29th, 2020, and that the league and each member's club's representatives would work to determine a suitable rescheduling plan. At the latest meeting, it was determined that there will officially be no WPL season in 2020, but instead that it was more realistic to set sights on a 2021 replacement. We have narrowed down our options to 2021 and beyond, but do not have an official schedule to share at this time. Discussions will continue in the league's representatives, excuse me, discussions will continue with the league's representatives to develop the new timeline while continuing to take into consideration local health mandates of each of the 10 major cities across the country that house our member teams, as well as World Rugby and USA return to play protocols and World Health Organization and CDC guidelines. We will also continue working with USA Rugby Women's High Performance to support players' abilities to maximize prep for the 2021 World Cup as a top league in the country. We feel it is important as ever to take the health and safety of our athletes very seriously. So it's a bummer, um, but it's the right decision. Like I feel like I've said that a few times on the show, everything that gets canceled or everything that gets postponed, um, it's not a surprising one considering USA Rugby's return to play guidelines. There's a lot that needs to happen before we'll see any competitive rugby match in the in the United States again. And the way that things are kind of trending right now are not encouraging um, with spikes popping up pretty much everywhere. So it's a bummer. I feel bad for those girls because they're not going to get to play rugby literally at all. And the way that the, the, the women's teams have played is like they play WPL in the fall and then they'll do like a like a refresher type thing in the spring. They'll play like three, four or five games. So realistically, by the time they end up playing rugby again, if they do get to get rolling in the spring of 2021, it's going to be like a year and a half since they last played, which is just insane. So it sucks, but that's just kind of the way of the world right now. Uh, so the last thing we'll touch on the breakdown, we got our Super Rugby update. So Super Rugby Aotearoa, uh, New Zealand Competitions in round five, we got Crusaders versus Blues at 1.05 a.m. on Saturday morning. You know, both teams are 3-0. and Crusaders sit atop the table with 14 points, while Blues are right behind them with 12. This realistically could be like the match that decides the competition. I think this is one I'm going to actually stay up and watch because if I watch it on demand on ESPN Plus on Saturday, I'm gonna it's going to be spoiled. I'll just I know I'll see the results on the Internet, so... That's the first game of uh, Super Rugby Aotearoa, and then the second one is Hurricanes versus Highlanders at 9.35 p.m. on Saturday. So, and then we've got Australia, Super Rugby Australia is in round two. We've got Melbourne Rebels versus the Reds at 3.05 a.m. on Friday. So that game has happened. A little background, I recorded this yesterday, had some technical difficulties when I was saving the file, so um, trying to change this on the fly. And then, uh, Super Rugby Australia, this the second game of round two is going to be New South Wales Waratahs versus Western Force at 3.15 a.m. on Saturday. Just nice to have rugby back on TV, even if it's really late or early in the morning. Um, so that kind of wraps up the breakdown. Obviously a lot to touch on. Um, I would encourage you to go dig deeper into this stuff, and I will do that as well. So like, now we'll jump into the interview. Like I mentioned at the top of the show, I had Davey Wilson, who's a photographer. He won runner-up in the portfolio category of Rugby Photographer of the Year that was put on by the Rugby Journal. His photos are awesome. He has a really awesome story, um, just kind of how he got into sports photography and his background and, and all that stuff. So I'm not going to ramble on too much about it. I'm going to let uh, Davey cover, this, cover the topics of his own life. So with that, we'll go ahead and kick it to my conversation with photographer Davey Wilson. 
All right, now welcome on to the show, Davey Wilson, rugby photographer. He just took uh, second in the Rugby Photographer of the Year, the portfolio category for the Rugby Journal. Um, he's been shooting rugby for a while. I've really liked his stuff. So, Davey, how are you doing? Pretty good. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you. Uh, thank you for asking. I'm staying healthy, which is all you can ask for, really, in this crazy time. Um, Isn't so, that the truth? Yes, for real. So obviously you just mentioned why we uh, want to bring you on for your rugby photography. But before we get into that question, I ask everybody that uh, does the show is this, can you tell us a little bit about where you're from? Yeah, it's, uh, it's always a tricky question to answer because I moved around my entire life, but um, I was actually born in Arizona, but I grew up in England and spent most of my childhood there. My mother's English. She's from Manchester and, uh, she wanted us to, me and my sisters, to experience her culture over there growing up. So most of my childhood was spent over in England, but I also lived in Italy for a few years after that, and then been moved around all over the U.S., uh, pretty much ever from New York to Virginia, New Mexico, Utah, all over. Wow, and, and you live in Utah now, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, but I, you know, I say that, but I actually, I, I bought a place here, but I, I still probably spend only about half half the year in actually physically in Utah because I spend most of my life on the road being a photographer. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. I didn't know that about you. Uh, so I know you just mentioned that you, you're a photographer. How did you get started as a photographer? How did you, I mean, just get into photography as a, as a whole and how, how did you just wind up going down this path? You know, it wasn't actually anything I pursued. It was, it just kind of happened by kind of being in the right place at the right time, kind of by accident sort of thing. I was, I'd been in independent art studies my entire childhood and I actually didn't physically take a photography class. Uh, but I, every contest growing up, I'd enter, I'd always be in the top three. Like it was just, and by the time I was age 12, uh, the teacher told, called my parents into the principal's office and said, uh, your son isn't teachable. And they thought I was like in trouble. Like, what is he doing wrong? And they're like, no, he should be teaching the class. Oh, wow. And so from then on to when I graduated, it was just independent art studies all, all through high school. Uh, by the time I graduated, I was like, man, I'm, I'm so tired of doing art. Like I just thought, felt like that was like all people thought I could do. Right. Uh, and only, only a few, it wasn't even, I made barely, not even a year after I graduated, uh, I got picked up by Columbia Records and I ended up working in the music industry mm-hmm. and they, they were downsizing because of the internet and as things went to streaming and whatnot. So we laid off my marketing team. But when that happened, I got moved to the art department mm-hmm. and I went from working like 60 hours a week to like exactly 37.5. That's what they considered a full-time <laughs> week at that time. And so I had all this extra time on my, on my hands and my flatmate in New York happened to be a pretty well-established photographer himself. And he was always pushing me to do photography uh, but there was a band that, uh, I don't know if you remember this, but there was a pop punk band years ago called Metro Station. And oh, yeah. they're, I remember that. <laughs> you actually know them? <laughs> I think it's, it's yeah, Miley Cyrus' brother. They played like at my college, you know, return from summer weekend or something one, one time. I don't know. Yeah. So they're, I don't wait. I don't remember exactly what happened, but I think it was the photographer got, fell ill or something. So I knew through working in the music industry, I knew the, the, the woman who actually signed them to the label. So she called me up on less than 24 hours notice and asked me if I could do the photo shoot for this band. And I, honestly, I don't think I really knew what I was doing back then that well. And, but I winged it and the photos came out good. So six months later, they hired me again to, to do a second promo shoot for those guys. And, uh, 
I mean, I was really lucky to have a lot of support from a lot of people back then. Like really, like I got hooked up with a really good stylist and everything. And like, we, we really, I think we knocked it out of the park on the second shoot. And so from then on, it was just like, I started getting all these music, like all these band shoots. And if you go back in my Instagram feed, a little bits on there, I don't, I took some of it out because I've just been so focused on, on what I do now. But um, I used to do a lot of music. Yeah. Can you can you throw out some of the big the big artists or bands that you shot with? Is that like confidential information, or can you give us? Oh a, no, a I mean I did. Taste? Ton of I mean ton of I mean, I get the last ones I did with probably Johnny Craig, and then I shot a campaign with ASAP Rocky. They're trying to make their 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 their, their T-shirts. They're trying to sell those as like a fashion piece. Uh-huh. So they wanted like a, an actual campaign. I, we actually. Uh, the the site that they had all the images and my images actually won awards for that so it was pretty cool uh but yeah it was uh it's so funny because to this day i still have actually someone someone actually made an illustration of my one of my photos of him just like just like a couple weeks ago Uh and uh it was really just cool that that people still that people still remember that shoot in particular right uh it's, I always get people asking me about it and I was like, Oh, it's just this one shoot that I did. But it was like, a lot of people really love those photos of him. And I just have some of him laughing and you know, whatnot. And I, I there's not a lot of photos of him. Like he always seems very serious in his right. more, more his portraits, but Oh, he was cool to work with, but uh, yeah, that was going to be my next. Yeah. Question, I mean, if he's a nice guy. If he's like, yeah. yeah, he, he was, he was, he was great. I mean, like I also, I was really lucky because the, the artists that I worked with, you know, I usually have really good experiences with most most everyone that I worked with. Yeah, uh, it, it was fun. Like, it, you just on those shoots, you're just kind of there to be creative, and they're artists as well, just in a different way, of, you know, different medium of art, which is music. So they just kind of they can relate to you on that level, and it's just cool. Sometimes, sometimes the artists, like if it's like a promo shoot, they come to the table with a whole lot of creative input, and uh, which is awesome because it feels more like a collaboration. Right. And then other times you just go in and it's all you directing everything and. Either way, like I, I like I like working both, you know, both kind of as full art director, but also like collaborating is also fun sometimes. Yeah, for sure. So it sounds like you were pretty like music heavy working with all these artists. So how did you make the transition into sports photography? Was uh, was there like a one specific opportunity that kind of came up and that? Like, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. My friend G, he uh, he started a soccer league with his friends in New York called NYC Footy. And they're still around. I don't know how, like how big it is still versus with the pandemic and whatnot. I don't know what's, you know, right. what the situation is this year, but uh, when we started, I think it was like nine teams. When I left New York, there was like 59 teams in the league. It was massive. Wow. And we had all these major companies. It was a mixture of record labels and tech companies. So like uh, Domino records had a team, uh, Etsy, uh, Tumblr, Yahoo, like uh-huh. Adobe, like all these companies have these teams on this league. And we just, we'd make the most ridiculous edgy portraits. And yeah. it was actually a great client. I, I kind of miss, I miss working with them. We've talked about a few times about me coming back to New York just to shoot like a one-off portrait session for them or something, yeah. maybe sometime down the road. But, uh, yeah, that, that was fun. So that was, and it was cool. Cause that one, that one client led me to doing a, I did a, a soccer campaign with, a with degree for the world cup, which wow. was like, I can't remember, which this is a few years after that, but uh, yeah, it was, it was cool. I'll everything. Yeah, one thing leads to another. And that's, that was really my first foray into sports. And that led to everything that I'm doing now, but I wouldn't even, it's crazy how we all get to where we, where we are, you know? <laughs> yeah, for real. Uh, so then how did you make the transition into rugby then? 
from soccer? I know you, you've done a lot of stuff with cycling too. Was that kind of like in between or like how did you make Cycling was actually after, yeah, uh, cycling was actually after rugby, okay. but the uh, rugby, my friend, I actually shot league before Union, which oh. not, a lot, not everyone knows that, but yeah, for sure. a That's friend, a big uh, here for sure. No, they only have uh, teams on the East Coast, uh-huh. and I think they're trying to get it going in L.A. Uh, there's like a couple, like a startup team or something out there going now. I know a guy who plays for it, but it's definitely club level. It's not not, not where MLR is, you know. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, the uh, a friend of a friend, I moved to, I moved to Brooklyn, and, uh, and I remember he played rugby. Rugby was something always attracted to me just from growing up in England, and my, grand, my British granddad actually played rugby. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just – there's just something about it. I think it's, uh, it's, it's brutal and beautiful at the same time. Like it's both. It's, there's just so much in it. It, you you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's, it's hard to describe. There's just an energy to it. And you just don't, I don't get it out of any other sport. And I was, I was, it was, I remember being in my Brooklyn flat and I was, there was this channel over the air called universal sports. I don't even know if it's still around, but they're playing a program about, about the old blacks and how they're working with these, uh, these, these troubled youth uh, in New Zealand and helping them through rugby. And it was, it was really interesting uh, special they had on there. And I was watching that and I ran, ran into him maybe only like a couple weeks later. And uh, I remember he played, uh, he, he played league and, and I asked him if he had any matches coming up. He told me his team wasn't really together that, that season, but mm-hmm. that Brooklyn had started a team. So I, I went straight back, looked it up. Turned out they had a match in like two days. So I just came down with my camera and just like, I wanted to check it out. And no one said anything. I just came in and shot. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And uh, I think it was only a few months after that, Matt uh, Matt Bailey, who was the head of Brooklyn Kings, uh, asked me to come shoot for them that following season. Uh, so I, I shot for them that, I guess, four or five months, six months, whatever it was. And then I ended up shooting for the national team before the uh, at the World Cup qualifiers in Florida, mm-hmm. as well as for Canada's team uh, that same year. And, uh, and then I, I, I segued off into union and at that, around that same time, I also got picked up by the cycling team, which is how I ended up moving out West. Okay. Uh, and that was because they saw the ASAP Rocky photos actually. <laughs> that was, you wouldn't expect Man, that, but I was they, helping you out quite a bit. It sounds like <laughs> they wanted, uh, they said, we want portraits that look exactly like that. Okay. And, and I was like, okay. <laughs> and it was like, it was, I think at the time actually it was, uh, it was almost minus, it's like it was minus 20, I think with wind chill in New York and the Hudson oh, River was freezing over. And I was like, okay, you want me to go to LA for a week? I don't even care what it is. I just want to get out of here. Yeah, <laughs> you know? Cool, man. So I guess, what do, you, what do you like most about shooting rugby? I know you mentioned a little bit, it's like you said, there's different energy and it's, it's beautiful. And that's kind of how I, the way I describe rugby, especially when you watch some of the, the super high end, super professional stuff, like it really does look like art to me. Like it's beautiful, like the way just like how it all flows together. I was just wondering if there's one, one or two things that you like in particular about shooting rugby. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just the, uh, it's the, I mean, it's, it's, it's like a war, you know, I mean, it really is. And, but there, you know, people always say, yeah, there's like a beautiful elegance to it, even though it's like super violent at the same time. But then all of that is true. You know, there's, there's a bit of blood, a bit of dirt, uh, and, there's so much impact and even, even, even just the, just as something as simple as a line out or a right. scrum in a photo just looks so there's so many dynamics in it. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it really does look like art. And you, 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 I think uh, there's actually been a lot of 
art installations on rugby through the years, some that are just portraits of players after the match, uh-huh. uh, to, to all sorts of things in it. And it's really cool to look at something on that level because people who may not take an interest in that sport may now, you know, get interested into it. And right. it's, uh, it's, I think a lot of people in the U S are just finding out about it now with thanks to MLR and right. even, even college rugby, you're seeing like, so much expansion in the last few years so much like the level of interest is definitely increasing i would agree. all throughout i would agree entirely um do, do you do you ever like a preference like do you like shooting sevens more than you like shooting 15s or do you just like to shoot rugby well it's it's uh i love 15s because you have more you have more time and more options uh-huh. uh, to get great images out of that match and Depends on also, but depends on the perspective you're shooting. Mm-hmm. If I was shooting for press, I think it could be pretty equal because you're just going to shoot who's ever generally is whoever is winning mm-hmm. is going to get more favorable angles, right? Yeah. But if you're shooting for a team and they're losing, then 15s will give you a lot more options to get something out of that yeah. versus a sevens because it's done so quickly. You're like, oh, I may not have a lot from this, you know? Right. It's, I mean, ultimately we're a mirror of whatever is out there yeah. as a photographer. And it, the funniest thing is when you have, if you are working with a team and then players come to you after a match and they just, maybe they got really beaten up on that match. You're like, Hey, you got any good photos? And you're just like, <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but it, you know, you don't know what, but that, that's also, that's what makes it challenging. And I love that about my job when I can, when I can make them look good, even when it wasn't a result that they wanted, at least I can show that they did the best they could and, put everything they could into it yeah for sure uh so that kind of leads into the next one is is what makes your photography different than other rugby photographers that you've seen i i think immediately the first thing people say is all the behind the scenes and you know i i came from coming from shooting music a little also i did a little fashion before and those kind of things i had a very commercial background in photography so I, I I make images generally that lend themselves towards advertising. And usually a lot of sponsors who, who work with the teams that I work with oftentimes try to license my images for ads later on. That kind of that's very common. Uh and it's it's been a really good that's been a really good business for me, you know, over the last few years and right. a way to like help because you don't, you know, get the budget for sports photography isn't the highest, you know, these days. <laughs> yeah. And it, it definitely helps out. But it's also I think just putting a perspective on it that people don't normally see elsewhere, you know, like they know when I, when I first started shooting rugby, it was really just standard straight up sports photographers just going to stay in their box and they shoot that one angle. And that's that, you know, it's just straight action. And I didn't really, especially in North America, there wasn't, there wasn't any emphasis on the lifestyle or any of the behind the scenes. And that was definitely something that I pushed out into the forefront because in rugby, there's this huge brotherhood and the, the, the relationships between the players and whatnot. And I think that was an interesting to capture as much as the game itself and, and the coaches, everything like, you know, just the locker room talk, even with the coach is just awesome to get sometimes. And yeah. just giving people a rare perspective. And also I think uh, you, you can give people, if you give people rarity and something they can't see elsewhere, we can all see what's out on the pitch. Right. You know what I'm saying? But, but you can show them something else they can't see, like the halftime talk at the locker or, you know, even some of the training or all the work that goes into it. They're, you're giving them a different perspective. And also the training photos, 
that's something that every athlete can relate to yeah. no matter what sport you're doing, you know, it's, and it, that makes it more accessible too for, for other people to see. Yeah, for sure. Have you know, have you ever run into people that kind of don't want that, that behind the scenes stuff shot? Have, has that ever been an issue or is, I mean, have you like been able to sway people over being like, well, look at like this good stuff that I get. You know, we thought, I thought it would be, yeah. uh, I remember when I shot uh, the World Cup qualifiers in, you know, on league side, we were working with, uh, uh, I think it was Brian McDermott who coached uh, the Leeds Rhinos over in England. He was, he was huge. He got like, I think he was like awarded the best coach in Super League that year, wow. if I remember correctly. So he was, it was a big deal getting him to coach America. Mm-hmm. And I remember they, there was all this politics of me shooting because everyone knows how I shoot, yeah. but they were really nervous about him being okay with that. So I had to personally get permission for him to, to do my photos. And here's what's like, mate, fill your boots, get whatever you want. <laughs> and funny. he actually started making jokes about it by the Yanks. He was like, man, you're like, a, he's like, he really is like a little sniper everywhere I turn. Cause I'd always be like down low, like on my knees or at the low angle or whatever. But, you know, I think I, I usually have a good instinct for when to walk away yeah. and when to, to stay in and like, I mean, I shot with Army Sevens last at Rugby Town last year, and right. I, I actually told the coaches like, because they, I think they started, they just got used to me always being around. But I, there was a couple days where like, where I walked away, and I said, "This is because sometimes if they seem too much in a like uh, joke mode or whatever, you know, I don't know how to explain it. They're just like laughing and kind of getting a little silly, you know what I'm saying? If people aren't really yeah, yeah. turned on for the game, I may walk away because I feel like they're not focused and I don't want to distract them further with right. the camera. Yeah, you know, like sense. it's kind of like it just depends on. You just have to, I think that comes with just being a professional and just being able to judge a situation. And like the nice thing too, is uh, the technology is involved. So a lot of cameras, mirrorless cameras are now becoming the standard that we work with. And most of those have a silent shutter option. So you can turn off the shutter completely. So there's no noise. And so there's no distraction at all. Oh yeah. And if if they like, and you you didn't have to be smart about we were aiming the camera. That the irony is like, and it's actually a positive, but the is sometimes the best angles are the bang, are the angles where you're least conspicuous, and that's actually when the photos get good, you know. Yeah, yeah, that kind of leads me into the next question. Is uh, obviously like been seeing your photo of the ice bath going around. It's awesome stuff, and um, I, that was something that you submitted for your portfolio for this rugby photographer of, of the year through the Rugby Journal. Is that correct? Can you kind of tell us about being named runner up and? And that contest and just like how you got nominated and what it just what it means to you to earn runner with that runner up recognition. Yeah, well they uh Rugby Journal is really they're one of a kind. I mean there's there's a few other rugby magazines in the world, but if you see this magazine, it's like a something you want to have out in your coffee table. It's beautiful. <laughs> like it's like something like a just the the high level of art, the photo the photography, the text, everything about that magazine is class. Yeah. And so I think they wanted to just to shine a light on some of the photographers working in the sport because rugby isn't the biggest sport in the world. So, and we all know that, but we we're all there cause we love it. And yeah. so it, because of that, they don't, I think a lot of photographers, especially at the club level, they don't even get a lot of them aren't even getting paid for their work. Right. So this really, I think meant a lot to a lot of people and there was hundreds of entries from all over the world. And for me to be the only American, yeah, and the only photographer in MLR or D1A or anything to even make it to the finals. That was already a huge win for me in and of itself. And and to take second for portfolio, that's 
that's huge because that's portfolio is is the hardest category because it's not just one image you have to like have a series of images right and and I, and I and I don't know how what the timing was for the others, but we actually because this was the inaugural year, we didn't have to use everything from 2019. We could have used other seasons, or okay. but I, but I wanted to challenge myself and do everything from 2019. Yeah, uh, and it was cool because I the series I put together, starting with uh, a player named Rocky who played for uh, for University of Utah rugby mm-hmm. in the in the ice bath to like a little bit showing behind the scenes on a bus with the college team to out on the pitch on a game, you know, you lead into the warriors, you have a little bit of youth rugby. There's a little bit with army from sevens on there. Yeah. And, but it all looks, it all felt really cohesive. Yeah. And I felt like you feel like you're on a journey with these different teams, but it almost, it feels, it definitely, you could feel like it was one season just from looking through the whole series. And the way that I, I like the way I ended it with the, uh, there's a line out that was, I think it was the warriors versus the saber cats. But it just the timing just worked out so great that day because there was a storm coming in, oh, and yeah. as the line out goes up and he, that jumper goes in the air, you see the sun just crack through the clouds. Yeah, and it was just like the perfect timing on that. So, yeah, I, it was uh, it was really cool. I, I they're actually going to do an exhibit at the World Rugby Museum in Twickenham. It was supposed to originally be in May, but because of the pandemic, it got pushed back. But um, yeah, it's to have some of my images. Yeah, you know, on display. I don't know if it's just the ice bath image or if it's all ten from that right. series, but um, either way, like being on being on exhibit in the Twi- at Twickenham World Red Museum is insane. That's like it's huge. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Congratulations. I don't I didn't mention that at the beginning of the show, but I'm glad I could squeeze it in there now. So, congratulations on that, Davey. I know I like looking at all of your stuff. So I guess with that, we'll move into the next one. And could could you tell us how you got that photo um, in the ice bath? Yeah, I was actually that was that was actually tough to pull off. The uh, the coach just had the guys come back to the hotel, and instead of doing a like a separate, sometimes they do these blow up ice baths outside. I've seen guys stick themselves in waste bins, literally uh, right. throwing with ice and water. But for this, they just had them go in the, in the bathtub. So I wanted to get, I had to get an angle that was overhead because if I shot low angle, you just see a guy taking a bath. Right. You wouldn't tell that he was taking an ice bath. You know what I'm saying? So. Right. Uh, I literally had to, I stepped on a toilet and I tried to have to like keep my foot on each side of the rim. Cause I couldn't even have the lid down right. because the, uh, it was like that plastic was like kept bending in or whatnot. So I had to pull up the seat and try not to slide or like fall in. But, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, that's, that's, uh, you know, I, I have this, my camera has, can flip out the screen. You actually can touch the screen and it allows you to focus and fire the shutter at the same time. So yeah. I just kind of stuck the camera out as far over him as I could and just hit tap the screen and got the shot. But that yeah, was cool. Like those guys were just so used to me working around them. It doesn't even matter what it is. You could be doing anything and they just don't even notice the camera anymore. You know, right. it's just kind of in there's in their zone, which is it's when the photos get good. And then how, like when you shoot something like that, how soon, how, like how soon do you know that this is like, a good like a good photo like when do you know you've struck gold is like immediately or is that something that you look back later and you're like i actually really like this photo was that i i didn't know right in the situation it was just like i'm just always shadowing them like and so they're i just i kind of document whatever goes down and then like later i look at the photos and say like, okay this is a winner but with that one i mean for the submission i had a lot of uh friends that like helped give me advice on what I should use or whatnot. But a lot of people really love that shot just cause it's not, there's no other photographer that has that kind of access in rugby or in very few, even in any other sport. So it's just not something you see every day. 
uh, because it's 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 so divorced from the the stadium, and the, the field, and the pitch, yet totally ties it all together. Because the recovery is something every athlete has to do after they perform. Uh, I thought it was a good one to put in there, and it it kind of ties the whole story together. I know you touched on it a little bit, um, but what are some of the challenges that you face when when you're shooting rugby? Mm, I mean, I wouldn't say it's specific to rugby, but I would th- I would say. You know, in general, I think when you surviving in an economy and uh, it's not this isn't like a, you know, like it's not like an A-level sport. Right. So the budget just isn't the same. And so I think I think just surviving and keeping sustainable, I think, is, is one of the greatest challenges. And also you have to worry as a photographer, if the budget goes too low, that it starts to compromise your work, then you can end up being you'll the client's not going to look at that in terms of uh, what they're paying you. They're just going to, they're going to judge you by whatever you put out, regardless of how much they're paying you. And so if you don't use the best lens or maybe you're doing a promo shoot and you cut back on the lighting and so the shoot goes too long or, you know, any, anywhere you cut corners to save money can reduce the output or make the shoot time go long. There's all different factors that can weigh into things for photography. And so it's hard because you're trying to you're trying to support or trying to get a good deal in or some people aren't even getting paid they're just trying to like get yeah. their foot in the door you know sure, yeah, but you're ultimately we're, we're judged by whatever we put out at the at the end of the day and so if you don't put out you always have to whatever's under under your name as a photographer mm-hmm. it always has to be quality and if it's not it can hurt you in the end you know yeah for sure i totally understand that and i know you're talking just about about factors and unfortunately the the reality of the situation that we're in right now is that we're in the middle of a global pandemic so it could how yep. has the pandemic impacted your work at all yeah it was uh yeah i, I i'm not even just speaking for me every photographer i know is hurting right now i mean it, yeah. it was uh i talked to one of my friends and she was she she's a she's a sports photographer and she shoots for i mean she shoots she shot nba nfl everything yeah and uh we're just talking about how it's it's obliterated everybody's schedules, and even even though sports has came, some sports has come back a little bit. I saw uh, women's pro soccer mm-hmm. having some matches. I saw that uh, lacrosse, professional lacrosse, is having matches, but they're not even letting a lot of press photographers in. It's very right. very strict. So I think anyone too. I mean, this spreads into you could think about anything, even even events that aren't even sports related. Sure. There's so much that photography depends on events as an industry. So the effects of, of, of events just being shut down has just been for photography has really just kind of gutted it for the year. But I mean, luckily uh, we had a pandemic unemployment assistance program set up in the U S that passed, And that's really helped out a lot of us. And yeah, it's, it's whoever thought this year would happen. I can't, I still can't even believe it. No, me either. It's just like, it was so sudden. I just think back to, you know, March when it was, it would seriously feel like it would change by the hour. Like you'd think one thing be, you know, you'd go to lunch, you'd come back from lunch and it's something completely different. And I mean, I mean, just even with what happened with all the rugby and all that stuff, it's been crazy. Um, so yeah. something, I guess, try to bring it back up a little bit here, but what are, what are some other things or sports that you do like to shoot when you're not shooting rugby? I, I also shoot uh, pro cycling as you touched on earlier. Yeah. And, uh, that too, everything was canceled in the U.S. Right. <laughs> even even the little even the crit races were just smaller than like a like a that's not like a most most of the cycling I shoot is road racing. So yeah. those are like eight 
sometimes eight day races, seven day races or whatever. Uh, like it's the race is like seven days, but could be like eight or nine or even 10 days by the time you include like pre-race and post-race and, uh, when you, when you get out there and then afterwards, but, uh, yeah, everything was shut down, but that, that is similar to rugby for me in that there's, it's beautiful, but for a totally different reason, you got these epic landscapes and, there's also there's also unfortunately a lot of crashes that you see in right. cycling and those can get pretty gnarly but also epic on the image image front uh you know it's a it's a it's a sport that i didn't really know anything about when i got into it mm-hmm. but i was fortunate to work with a, a director whose father is one of the biggest if not the biggest cyclists of all time and so I really couldn't have a better place to learn everything I could about it. And a lot of people don't realize it's a team sport mm-hmm. and you could be in the car with the director and it's like, just like a coach coaching a football game, trying yeah. to get his players in the right position. And it's, it's really interesting. And it, it's been a great experience working with them. And I also, I, you know, I, I love soccer. I, I'd love to shoot more of that again. I shot the women's pro team out here a couple of years back for a magazine, but I haven't been able to, logistically work it out with my schedule with everything else but right. some i always would go back to and also i'm always interested in like wrestling mma like anything like i love uh things that are more aggressive yeah. i think in general you love carnage it sounds like <laughs> something like that yeah that's okay though a lot of people do i like it too so davey what's kind of what's your ultimate goal as a photographer i would say to shine a light on on things that interest me mm-hmm. and help people see things in a different way uh there's always like the business goals, you always want to get more clients and sell more images and license more images. But I think, I think the, my first foremost goal getting in photography was just that, like, I didn't, I didn't start shooting because of money. You know, right. it was just, it was all about just showing things that I could, that I like and showing it. I, I can't, uh, I think when you're an artist, you can't just turn it off. Right. It's like always there in you. So even me trying to not do that, going through the music industry or doing all these other things, you you can't you can't switch off what you are and i think at the end of the day like i'm doing what i should be doing now you know for sure and then last question davey is just how can people find you where can they check out your work um yeah just tell tell us how we can get a hold of you i'm i'm davey wilson pretty much everywhere so instagram twitter uh even like lesser known social media i'm pretty much davey wilson on every platform you can think of so easy enough corner the market with your own name there (laughs) (laughs) yes sir oh and daveywilson.com for my site but if they need that yeah for sure all right davey that was awesome thank you so much for your time man i really appreciate it thank you all right i hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with photographer davey wilson thank you to davey for taking the time out of his day to have that chat with me i really enjoyed it i hope you guys did too so now we'll move on to the next part of the show is required reading. Um, so this week's required reading. I had something else, but since my file got all messed up, and um, this one makes more sense. So like I mentioned, Brian Ray's tweet at the top of the show, uh, America's Rugby News, that's the site that he runs, has done a good job of you know, summing up everything that, that he knows and we have known, all the information that's out there about Canaloa Rugby's bid for MLR in 2021. So I would encourage you guys to go read MLR opens door for Hawaiian team in 2021 on America's Rugby News. Um, it'll help you kind of get a better understanding of what's going on and all the information that's out there. Um, and, and if you look around, you'll find some other stuff that'll help you dig a little deeper too. So uh, last part of the show, we'll go ahead and jump into the loop. This is the, you know, we, we promote what we've got going on here at DMVR Rugby. So the Raptor Tracker is up, the former Raptor Tracker that I've been talking about. I know we had a question on the show about it last week. 
it's up. I've assembled it. Like we've talked about on the show, there's only a few guys that have officially announced where they will be playing next season. Um, and I will update the article every time a member of that 2020 Raptors team signs with a new team, whether it be an MLR or not. I'm working to see if I can get a few guys on to come talk about their plans for next season. Um, I obviously will keep you posted on all of that. Um, and yeah, it looks like I just got a message from somebody saying that they will come on and talk about what they're doing next year. So that's exciting. Um, nice. I didn't know that. Perfect. So keep up with that. That's more of the reason to just keep up and follow along with us on Twitter at DNVR Rugby and at Colton Strickler. Um, it's my personal will be saying the same stuff. Um, just keep it locked here. We've got some exciting interviews lined up, especially the one that I just read. So that'll be good news to share. Um, so yeah, keep keep it locked here. We've got some exciting interviews, like I just said. We've got some cool stuff coming up moving forward. Um, I'm excited about it. So that's my show. Thank you guys for listening. Hope you had a great week. Hope you have a great weekend. I'll catch you back here next week.